0: Last week we discussed kind of a new topic and a new idea to kick off uh, this year. We talked about the idea that we are all suffering from a terminal illness and a terminal fate. Uh, And that is this life will end. And as human beings, if we have lived in sin, and as all of us have experienced sin, then we're all in this category. Uh, this terminal illness leads us to death. It leads us to separation from God, to hell. There is nothing in Scripture to suggest otherwise. That Those who are uh, sinful will be separated from God. And yet we know that by grace, through faith, we have access to heaven. We have access through Jesus to our Lord and to an eternal life of paradise. And so... As one who is terminally ill, as one who is facing the churning uh, the of time, as we see life slipping away, we have this beautiful permission to be a little bit crazy, to kind of be radical in our thinking, to reach for the things that we've held back reaching from. When we look at life as a terminal diagnosis, It gives us the freedom to reach for and to grasp hold of the beauty of the cross and the example of Jesus Christ and live out that example in a wholehearted and full-throated kind of way. Oftentimes we find ourselves as Christians holding back. And this series is an encouragement to not hold back. To not hold back and have one foot in the world and one foot in the grace of God, but to go in with both feet, to go in completely, And to be truly dedicated to the idea of living differently and living radically compared to the world around us. When we are faced with a fate that cannot be escaped except for Jesus Christ, then we should dive into Jesus Christ. There is no reason, no upside to holding on to the world. And so each week we're going to talk about different areas of our life and different aspects of, of Christian living that stand apart from the world that stand apart from what the world tells us and look at what Jesus teaches us and how we can live that out in in the fullest way possible. When I was growing up, and I think this is true for a lot of people that grow up in, in church settings or uh, around Christian organizations even, even just community organizations that are oriented uh, in this way, we would do service projects. That was the word, service projects, which usually meant uh, we got... Uh, 10 or 12 people together and uh, hopped on a bus and drove to a neighborhood and went around the neighborhood raking leaves, you know, in November or something for uh, people who were unable to do that. This was Christian service in our minds and very good thing to do, very true. Um, Doing things for others who are unable to do for themselves is a wonderful example of service. We even would have um, something back home, Harding University would do, and they still do, I think, a day of service. Um, which I never cared much for. I felt like advertising your day of service kind of defeats the point. But that's how we think of Christian service sometimes, is we're all going to go out and we're going to do some nice things for people. We sometimes have trouble truly grasping what it means to live lives of service, what servanthood is as defined by Scripture and defined by Christ himself. The Bible is very clear that we are going to be in service to something. The verse that Travis just read for us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, uh, says that no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate one and love the other or love the other and, and, and hate the one. And you can't serve both God and wealth or God and money. So, yeah, we have this example, Jesus speaking here, saying you're going to have one or the other. Now that's interesting because that's not what the world says uh Bob Dylan, the great uh, nobel prize winning by the way songwriter um, who b- wouldn't get past the audition phase of American Idol um, but is a Nobel laureate, I always wonder, do you think he talks the way he sings like at home like sitting at dinner like pass this out please i don't I don't know I just always wonder um, I'm a big Bob Dylan fan, I like his work and uh and he had a conversion. He, he, he's Jewish um, ethnically and was practicing in his youth, but had a conversion to Christianity at a certain point in his career and he took a lot of flack for it uh, in, in his industry. John Lennon uh, wrote a song directed at Dylan's conversion to Christianity, attacking it and criticizing it. And meanwhile Bob Dylan wrote a song and released several albums of Christian music and gospel music, but he wrote a song that was actually fairly popular Uh, called, You've Got to Serve Somebody. And in the chorus it says, It may be the devil and it may be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. And he echoes the sentiment that there is a choice in life that we will make. You will either serve the Lord or you will serve something else. But you will serve something. I don't know that we look at life that way, and I don't know the world looks at it that way. Because when we read, You cannot serve both God and money. Or, or you can't have two masters. Sometimes we think there must be a third option. What if I just serve myself? What if I ignore everybody and just do what I want to do? I mean, this is the core of humanistic thinking, right? I'm just going to do what I want to do. And the thing that's inescapable about that logic is what Scripture points out, what Jesus points out. There is no in-between. Because to serve yourself is to serve the world. You're a part of the world. You're a part of mankind. To serve yourself is to serve the world. And you can't do that and serve God. There is an inescapable choice, and it is a binary choice. It will either be God or it will be something else. But you will serve somebody, as Dylan wrote. And so in Scripture, we look for the example of what it means to do service to the Lord and to the kingdom. And oftentimes we think of that in terms of doing good works, doing good things for people. We think of generosity and giving. We think of hospitality, a very important uh, trait and a very important act of service. If you read uh, what is written after the fact, referencing Sodom and Gomorrah, because when we talk about the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, we, we think we've got that figured out, what that is, right? The, the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah, all this debauchery and, and lust and, and those things. And, but... The sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, as described later on by the prophets, was that they were inhospitable. That they were cruel to the travelers. They would take advantage of those who were displaced. Um, So hospitality is a big thing. Taking care of people. Jesus talks a lot about what you do uh, for these, you do for me. Uh, That when we welcome people and we're hospitable. And that's a big part of Semitic culture too. The Jewish uh, and even Islamic cultures. Uh, really emphasize this, that when you take someone in, you are obligated to them and responsible for them. Uh, and so hospitality, benevolence, uh, helping people meet the needs that they can't meet for themselves. All very good acts, all very good works, and we think of that as service. We think of services. I have my normal life, my normal routine, maybe I'm faithful to the Lord, maybe I keep, uh, I keep the scriptures and I study and I have a relationship with God. But every now and then, I'm going to break from my routine and do something nice for somebody, and that's an act of service. If we look through Scripture for the descriptions of acts of service, you will very rarely find a description of service and servanthood that is separated as a trait from Jesus. It's almost always in relation to Jesus Christ and how he lived. And then, how we should live. Service is not merely an act that the heart of a Christian motivates. Service is a way of life that the Christian chooses by looking to Jesus. And we have to think differently about service. So, as we look through Scripture, we'll see these examples. If you look at Matthew, just go back a little bit from the verse we just read. In Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 38. You have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone wants to sue you for uh, um, sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away the one who wants to borrow from you. We get a lot of our definition of service from here. We're going to go the extra mile. We get a lot of common vernacular from this. Going the extra mile, giving you the shirt off your back. Um, These things come from this verse, this idea that we're not merely going to fulfill the obligation that our fellow man is asking of us, but we as Christians are going to be seen to doing extra. We're going to be seen as doing something more. Uh, That's a very wonderful picture of Christian service. Doing more than the world requires of you. Doing more than your neighbor requires of you. We see other examples in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Being neighborly. uh, Being being kind to people. Being empathetic and, um, and caring and compassionate. But we also see in scripture other descriptions of service. And almost all of them have something to do with Jesus. In our service, in our kindness, in our acts that we perform to be hospitable or benevolent or generous, are we thinking of it in terms of Jesus? Or are we thinking of it in terms of good works? The Bible's very clear. Good works are good works. But good works that do not come from a heart that is attuned to the Spirit are merely empty works. There must be faith motivating. And Jesus is at the center of all, of service. Paul writes about this in Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. In other words, you need to be united and dedicated to service. Why is that? Verse 3, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Why? Verse 5 is the answer. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. Do we do all the things he said in those first four verses? We just do that because we're good people? Maybe so. But, you know, there are a lot of great organizations in this world that do those things because they're just good people. We are called to be a little bit radical. We don't do it just because we're good people. Oftentimes we do it in spite of the fact that we're we're good people, or we do it in spite of the fact of our humanity, because sometimes our humanity does not motivate us that way. We don't do it just because we want to be nice. We do it because Jesus came, lived, died, and rose again. Verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in likeness of men. And by the way, bondservant, um, that's like a slave. This is someone who is um, bound in the employment of another person to pay off a debt. Indentured servitude is is the phrase we would know it as. Very, very common. In fact, when you read about slavery in this part of the world amongst the Christian people, it was most often this kind of relationship. Uh, It wasn't the way we think of slavery from our history that was based in ethnicity or, or something like that. This was oftentimes an economic transaction that was occurring. It was oppressive. There was ill treatment. There were bad actors involved, but... This concept of a bondservant, very well known to them. And when when, when Paul references Jesus as having the heart of a bondservant, he is someone who is paying a debt. He is doing the actions he's doing in order to release a contract, to fulfill a duty. So he took the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, for those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul calls Christians to action and service, not simply because it is good or right, but because Jesus himself served as an example of the kind of heart that a servant must have when he came to earth and went to the cross. We move to the letter to the church in Colossae, the the Colossian letter. And we see Paul continuing to to give this example and talk about Jesus as the source for all of this. Let's look at uh, verse uh, 12. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility. I'm sorry, this is chapter 3, verse 12. uh, Humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Jesus is at the center, at the center of all that we do and the motivating factor in all that we do. Paul instructs that all these good characteristics be put on. You clothe yourself. I love that imagery that Paul uses quite a bit, actually, um, that we clothe ourselves. Just like we put on our clothes. We decide what to wear every day. We decide what to wear for a lot of different reasons. Some of it is, is social conformity, because naked people stand out, okay, because that's not how we normally are. We put on clothes for social conformity, sometimes for fashion, but that is the privilege of, of uh, wealthy Western cultures. A lot of clothing in the history of the world is utilitarian. You put on the clothing that is suited for your environment. We understand that a little bit better living up here where we have temperatures that drop into the you know, 9, 10 degrees below zero some mornings when we're getting ready for school. You've got to have certain clothing on and wear it a certain way to protect yourself, to stay warm, to be comfortable at the very least. Clothing is a function of the environment we're in. And we wear our clothes and we put things on and we make those choices based on what we're confronting that day. And Paul says, clothe yourself with good works, with kindness, with gentleness and compassion. Why? Because Jesus did and because he taught that. And because when he went to the cross, he embodied that to win a battle that is going on in the spiritual realm for your soul. So you clothe yourself likewise and do service to others and care for those who are in need. We can also go to First Peter. We look at First Peter chapter 3. I'm sorry, not chapter 3. Pardon me. First Peter chapter 4. Verse 11. Oh, let's go to verse 10. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever amen we have been given service here is not described as simply a choice one makes in behavior i'm going to do this good work or that good work service is actually described as a spiritual gift you have a special because the holy spirit dwells within you through through your faith and your baptism And the death of Jesus Christ, because of that, you have some special gifts. And one of those is seeing the world differently. And seeing those around you differently and serving them differently. I don't see Dan as just Dan. Now, I like Dan as a person. And I might do Dan a favor if I was ever of any use to him. I can't think of anything he would need that he couldn't do himself. But if there was something he needed that I could do for him, I'd be happy to do it because I like Dan as a person. But the minute I stop liking Dan as a person, I'm not going to do him any more favors or acts of service. But because Jesus died for me, because I'm covered in his blood through baptism and faith, because I see Dan not as just a person, I see him as a soul that is held in the hand of God. I see him as a being that Jesus died for. And if I care at all and value at all my salvation because of the death of Christ, then I have to understand that everyone else, the people I like and the people I don't like, at the very least are souls held in the hands of God by the death of Jesus Christ and his grace. And now it doesn't matter if some days I don't like Dan as a person. I love Dan as a Christian and as a brother and as a soul that God cared enough about To shed his son's blood. And if I care at all that Jesus hung on that cross. With my name on his heart. Then I have to accept that he hung there with Dan's name. And everybody else's name on his heart as well. That changes how I serve. It changes why I serve. And it changes who I serve. Because like scripture tells us. I don't. Also found in Colossians. I don't do those things anymore for Dan. I do them for the Lord. Paul writes in Colossians that you should do all things as as if you're working for the Lord. Our motivation is the death of Christ and the salvation it brings. Our reward is the service to God through the service of others. The benefit to the individual is a side effect. What we are saying by our service is not we are nice people because God told us to be nice. What we are saying to the world is not I'm going to do nice things for you because I think it's the right thing to do. What we are saying to the world is we see life differently. And because of Jesus, we must live differently. And so if I'm going to do anything for you, if I'm going to serve you, if I'm going to care for you, I'm going to do it because I can't help it. I can't look at the cross and it not make me want to work harder. To care for those around me. And Jesus perfectly exemplifies this in the account of the washing of the disciples' feet. He did something very surprising. And and for the sake of time, we won't read it verbatim. But we know the story. They gather around the table to eat. As would have been the convention, there would have been someone present, a servant, who would go around and would make sure that the feet were washed before they sat at the table because the nature of sitting at the table made it important. Remember, this is, these are desert people, and their main mode of transportation is walking, and that comes with some nastiness. And the washing of feet was a requirement. But Jesus didn't just do it because it was the right thing to do. If that had been all it was, and it was a strange thing for their teacher, their rabbi, their lord, to be doing this lowly job, he wasn't just doing it to be nice. He wasn't just doing it because someone needed to do it. He was doing it to make a point. And his point was, and you can read it, because he closes that little little exchange by saying that I didn't come here to be served. I came here to serve. I came here to die for the sins of those who need it, which is everyone. Now, if I'm willing to do that for you, Jesus says, you should do it for one another. That's the message he speaks to us today. You cannot separate service as just good works from Jesus Christ and his death. His death is what makes service possible. It's what motivates us. It's how we see the world. And We need to break out of a thinking of service as just good deeds. Just how can we be nice to people? It's how can I see you as a child of God? How can I see you as something more than what the world defines you as? True service is accepting others as being loved by God as much as you are and doing for others what Jesus has done for you. How often in Scripture do we see relationships described as mirroring our relationship to Christ? We talked this morning in our class about Um, Ephesians and how marriage is described as that relationship with Jesus and throughout scripture especially in Ephesians Paul makes the point because of your relationship with Jesus you should express that same idea to those around you we are called to be people who live according to the blood of Jesus Christ given in humility given freely and given with love and seeing all people not for what they have done, but for who they are in God's eyes. We too must live similarly in serving others, not with mere good deeds, not with mere kind words, but with the heart that Jesus had for seeing the people around us differently and caring for them in a deeper way. Because he did it for me, I will do it for you, should be our motto. And this morning if you are in need of care, service, prayer, love, let us know. We want to be a family that cares for one another. Dan's going to come and lead us in, uh, in another song, and then we'll join together in our communion time.